Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. On each episode, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. I'm your host, Scott Trobach. As VP of Creative at Godfrey, I help our team unlock the amazing potential of the brands we serve. On this episode, I'm talking with Emily Spillar. As Godfrey's social media manager, Emily works to execute our clients' social media programs and develops and implements strategies on their behalf. Today, we'll be talking about social media, the latest trends and technologies with regard to that, and what our clients and customers can be expecting in the near future. So very happy to have you, Emily. Thanks Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. Now, you've been in this role at Godfrey. You've been at Godfrey for uh, four or five years, right? Yeah, going on five years, which is crazy because I started right out of college. So time flies, really does. It does. I think we're also, though, living in an era in which age really doesn't matter too much when it comes to expertise on what's hot and what's relevant right now. Correct. You're right. Um, A lot of things now, it's almost like that reverse mentorship mentality where it's people who are younger, who have grown up with social and have grown up with the internet and technology. They're the experts. Like I'm still looking to my 16 year old cousin for help with some computer stuff sometimes. And I'm like, why can't I figure this out? That's fantastic. And here I am in my 40s. And uh, a year or two ago, you you mentored me a bit in getting my Instagram account to uh, uh, I think uh, you yield a few better results for me than it was. Yes, we did. We did. We worked on that a little bit. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Now you've been, you've been our social media manager for two years and uh, talk to me a little bit about the development of that role and, uh, and how you, how you made that happen. Yeah. So when I started off here at Godfrey, I worked in PR. I was a public relations coordinator um, coming out of school with a degree in communications. It was where I wanted to really get my start. As I started working in PR, you know, I really loved the team. I enjoyed what I was doing, um, but I was starting to work on more social programs. So with B2B, it's always a little bit behind the trend in terms of some of the marketing technologies. So with social at that time, It wasn't huge for a lot of our clients, but it was on the rise. So Twitter, a little bit of Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and the PR team was getting all of that work. But I really saw that there wasn't anyone driving those programs at that time. So I saw that opportunity and kind of worked with my uh, boss at the time and, you know, was like, this would be a really good position for me. It kind of aligns with my interests and went from there. The thing I like about uh, you know what what you're saying about B2B, a lot of times being a little bit behind, uh, it really does, I think, I mean, looking at it from an optimistic standpoint, it creates opportunities for people right. who are willing to go out on a limb, uh, take some risks, in some cases, uh, you know, uh, argue for a budget uh, for something. And I, I'm, I'm sure that's interesting for you to see that happen across, across clients and across industries. Yeah, it definitely is. I think... Um like now almost all of our clients have at least some part of a social program. And now we're really seeing things change too with digital marketing, with uh, paid search um, and some different things with programmatic and digital ads that weren't as popular before with our clients, but are now 
coming to the forefront with um, a lot of their budgets. I know the the growth uh, of social in general has been astronomical. Uh, around the time that I started at Godfrey, we were uh, referring to it as Web 2.0, and uh, and mobile wasn't even where uh, anywhere near where it is. I mean, the iPhone I think uh, was was less than a year old, and everybody was still figuring out how all of this stuff was going to work and how it was going to change our lives. Um, but we've seen, we've seen continued, uh, just like, like hockey stick curve growth in these, in these different arenas. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about the trends that you're seeing now with, with that growth. I mean, I, I'm sure there are numbers associated with it, but, but what kinds of things are you seeing? So I think with a lot of the growth, it's, you know, still visual is there and there is a part for curated content. So things that are, you know, really fall into an aesthetic, but I think now it's moving more towards in the moment and real time. So there's a lot more things that are live and less planned out um, that are happening. So Instagram lives are huge. You're seeing um, live webinars, you're seeing recorded podcasts like this. You're also seeing things like Clubhouse um, come up and those aren't necessarily things that are planned ahead or there might be a loose agenda, but they're not that full-fledged production or full-fledged photo shoots as they were before. That's been interesting for me because typically I wouldn't be uh, necessarily on the cutting edge of anything like that. I wouldn't be uh, what anybody would call an early adopter. I, I sort of watch, I talk to people like you, I get to know it. And then I, I, I think I process a little bit more, but, uh, even a week ago, I got a text from a friend of mine who was getting into a clubhouse meeting with a bunch of people around a, a conference that uh, Cliff Lewis and I spoke at. And she said, can you jump on clubhouse right now? We're talking and I'd, I'd love to ask you some questions. And I said, I'm I'm on a call right now. I can I can be over there in half an hour. And she said, That's great. Okay, I'll expect you at 11:30. And um, I, I was like, you know, this is uh, this is a scenario where opportunity favors the prepared. And uh, and at the same time, you sort of just have to jump out there. Like I I hopped on thinking that we'd talk for five minutes, and we ended up like in this 20 minute interview. And people were asking questions, and it was it was really my it was the first time I'd ever spoken on that platform. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, people are seeing that and they're hearing that. And I mean, that's still in, and I think a beta it's invite only you, tell me more about, uh, when I, when I think about platforms like that one, when I think about platforms like TikTok, uh, what, what are, what's the relevance, uh, that you see to our industries, uh, to B2B in general, or is it something that they need to be watching and waiting a little bit? For B2B, we are more apt to watch and wait with a lot of these trends. So things like TikTok and things like Clubhouse, they're what people want to be consuming in their free time. It's And that's a little bit different for B2B audiences. So you're not really necessarily going to sit there and you know scroll through construction video product walkarounds. But maybe in your free time, you do want to see that dog walking down the street. Um, to some fun songs, or you do want to see, you know, someone with what is their day in the life routine. It's just a little bit different in that free time. So I think it's B2B watching and waiting to see how other brands are adapting to it. And then are there opportunities for them to either leverage user generated content if it is related to their industry or their product, or is there an opportunity for them to create their own or find their own niche in it? Um, for example, I don't know if you heard this, Scott, actually, but I did on Clubhouse a Clubhouse that was strictly the sound of bacon sizzling. 
that was it. There weren't people talking. It was just bacon sizzling and people were tuning in just to hear it. So it's seeing things like that too. And how could that be applied to your industry um, or your, your company? That sounds absolutely fascinating and not at all surprising. I'd like not for a second. Does it right. surprise me that that was a thing? Because, well, a, I think that there's uh, there's probably some kind of a rule around how long a social media platform is around before something is focused solely on bacon. But um, you know, it, it also, I mean, it's it's proof that people are going to start to really explore the the perimeter, you know, and and explore the the possibilities. Um, it, it just reminds me of somebody doing a Kickstarter for making potato salad, if you remember that one. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's, there's always going to be somebody who sort of subverts the assignment, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think, though, like I said, with B2B, it is just figuring out how do things work for you? How does it work into your overall marketing strategy as well? Because social is a small piece of it. But you do have access with social to more of a widespread audience. But it's also learning a little bit more about that platform, about that platform's audience and how they're using it. And then how does that fit in with your, your strategy? It, it strikes me that uh, you know, rather than being all in or all out, um, which seems sort of like a, a myopic view of it, uh, there really is a spectrum there where you can be a consumer. You can be somebody who's socially connected. You could be socially connected with people who you might be doing business with, uh, but you're just friends sort of on a human level, which could then help you possibly close a deal down the road. Certainly uh, LinkedIn, I think, is especially great for that. But uh, there, it strikes me that there's also this position that you can be in where you're watching and participating at a level that that feeds your understanding of it and gives you a better sense of when it's time to actually get involved. Yeah, there definitely is. I think it's just taking that time again, like I said, understand what is the reporting that's available? What is the audience demographics that's available on those platforms? And, you know, dipping your toe in a little bit here and there, we always say it's a marathon. It's not a sprint when it comes to social because once when you start, you're going to be grinding out that content day over day, week over week, year over year. And it's really understanding how do you thoughtfully plan things out? How do you start testing the waters to figure out what resonates, what doesn't? And then how can that guide you down the line for long-term content creation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's important to say that it's a marathon and not a sprint because there's so much importance, uh, I think so much urgency placed on what's popular right now. Um, you're going to miss a trend if you don't jump on it in the next 48 hours, right? Everything feels very immediate. And to, to have that understanding that it is longer term, uh, that it, you know, there, there are definitely chapters in this, in this book, but, uh, but it's a long book is, is a good way to look at it. Yeah, it's, it's a very long book um, because also once when you start, you can't really stop. So, um, you know, there has been, there have been clients where we've altered, you know, what platforms they're on. So maybe they were on Twitter before, but that's not serving them a, as much of a purpose as possibly Instagram. So make the recommendation to switch efforts over, but 
once you start them posting on Instagram, you're, you do have to keep up with it. And especially to see your return, you have to make sure that you're aligning with the algorithms that you're putting out that content consistently and you're engaging with users consistently or else you're not going to see that return and then it's just going to fizzle out. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about uh, in your role, how you put together reports and that kind of thing for clients because um, you know what is a good number of Twitter followers to one entity might be huge for another or might be very small. Uh, for a third, I I think it's all relative. Um, how do you how do you determine that, and and what kinds of reporting structures do you have when you're when you're working with clients? Yeah, so reporting is a big part of what I do in my role. So a lot of people think I'm more on the creative side, and I'm actually more on the analytics and the strategy side. So when we're putting together our reports, and you know, we really often get the question, is this good? Is this follower count good? Is this engagement good? Well, we really put it in the context of, okay, let's see where your competitors are at. Now your competitors, are they in line to you or are they aspirational? Because that can also determine where you fall. And then also let's look at industry benchmarks. So all of those things together, as well as past performance, we pull together to really align, is this good in terms of performance? For reporting, we really look at follower growth, but more importantly than that, we do look at engagements, impressions, and then clicks. So social is great for awareness overall, but ultimately you want to be using using it as a vehicle to drive people to your website. So it's a really great tool for that. And I think people forget that there's opportunities beyond just the likes and the comments and the shares, that there's really valuable opportunity to drive people to your site and to make a decision there. Yeah, it would it would seem that, uh, that there could be some misconceptions where maybe you don't get a lot of likes on something, but you're seeing traffic head to the site because people aren't stopping to actually react. They're actually taking action, which would be good. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, Instagram and Facebook are both looking at um, or have tested out versions of their platforms where they've actually gotten rid of the like feature. So imagine that. Imagine scrolling through your Instagram feed and not knowing how many likes as a vanity metric that's right there that an image got. Um, I think that alone really then switches, switches the mindset of a marketer of what is valuable content then because either you want someone to share a post, you want someone to save a post, or you want someone to go to your website. And, you know, those mindless scrolling and liking posts of pretty pictures, that might go away. And it might be what's more about the copy or more about the messaging, and then the further purpose um, for that. You know, I had heard that about Instagram and uh, and was, was reading some things about it. But do you know more about what their rationale was for removing that that feature? I think part of it was actually away from the marketing aspect of it and actually more towards the mental health aspect of it, which is a little bit different, obviously, from B2B. It's like the personal user with social. Because I think we forget mm-hmm. that too, is that on social media, it's very rare that a person has their personal profile and their professional profile tied in or separated. Usually they're tied into one. So when you're reaching out to users on social media, it's who they are as an entity. It's 
you know, everything they like from cooking and fitness and bloggers to also then marketing um, followers or brands that might resonate with them in terms of competitors that they want to keep their eye on. So it is everything. Um, so I think the likes are actually more for a personal aspect of it, just from people getting actual validation from seeing those likes come in, which is funny because I see brands do the same thing. Brands get validation from seeing, hey, we had a million likes on this post. Did you see that? Okay, but then what did it do further? So like, that's the other side of it. Yeah, uh, there was a, a book that I read by uh, Martin Lindstrom called Small Data, where he talked about uh, the, the big data of, of things like those more numerical examples, and then the small data of really understanding the anecdotal reasons why somebody liked it, uh, and the very sort of human connections. We make a lot of assumptions, I think, when we just look at numbers on a spreadsheet, versus actually getting into the uh, sort of empathetic, you know, emotional nature of it. Right. And social, especially, I think is very much that. I think, you know, there's something in us that compels us to like a post or there's something in us that compels us to visit someone's profile. It's because you resonate with that content in some way. Um, I think that part of marketing sometimes is, is lost is that there is a person on the other side of the screen. And I think especially with B2B, just because it is a little bit different in what we ultimately want our uh, potential customers to do, we forget that as well. Yeah, there is uh, there is a level of social responsibility. I mean, I, I think that's uh, probably more directly understood for B two C because they're they're doing uh, lifestyle stuff and they're actually appealing to consumers to uh, purchase or consume or travel or you know do whatever it is that that their brand has. For B two B, it tends to be more about uh, you know, these, these longer buying cycles, larger purchases and that kind of thing. But I do think there's still that, that, that relevance to, um, you know, respecting the fact that you're working with humans. Yeah. And I think that our clients do that in a way where you, we highlight on things other than the products we highlight on, you know, the industries that we are working in and we touch on the sustainability aspects for some of our clients. So there are certain parts that we're like, we're not just this company and it's not just this product, but we're helping build products that are helping in hospitals or we're helping build products that are helping with transportation or to build commercial buildings that can help house you know, residents or whatever it may be, um, there is that piece of it too that I think is important that our clients highlight when we're putting together social content. It, it, you raise a good point there because um, you know I, I've I've often talked with students about uh, getting into advertising, getting into design, and uh, and marketing in general. And one of the things that I've said is, you know, you don't often think about B two B. There aren't a lot of college students who are like, I'm going to go get into industrial marketing, right? They don't really talk much about that. But one of the things that I've mentioned is that I've never had a crisis of conscience um, on anything that we've ever promoted because the kinds of things that come through are uh, we're going to outfit all of our vehicles with more fuel efficient engines and they're going to be uh, economical and they're going to be, you know, easy maintenance. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that you can get excited about and actually feel good about uh, promoting. Exactly. And I think that's something 
that sometimes also gets lost is those products. There isn't that conscious, like, uh, this doesn't feel good. Like everything I think with B2B, it's helping things that are larger, um, which then make a change in the world that we live in. So I agree. Like, it's not always the glamorous, like, oh, I want to work in beauty or food or fashion. It's, you know, it's, it's gears, it's motors, it's construction equipment, but they're important things and, and you do feel good about it. Yeah. Well, and the fascination factor, of course, is, is humongous. And that's one of the things we always enjoy talking about at Godfrey um, is, is just the, what you learn about the, the hidden ways the world works. Um, always, always enjoyable. Um, give me a couple of examples, if you have them, of ways that B2B companies are effectively integrating social media into their like, like tactical communication arsenal. Like how are they, um, what are, what are some, some actual like demonstrable ways that people are, are integrating this stuff? For B2B, it's really looking at what different pieces of marketing collateral that you have and how can you leverage it for social. So one way, especially is just breaking it down into smaller pieces. And we see this often with video. So Video is often a larger investment, but you can really get a lot of traction out of it. And that is by either posting it natively in the long form content of it or breaking it apart into small video clips or animations or even utilizing B-roll with some text overlay uh, for social content as well. Additionally, it's also looking at what other pieces of marketing or content that you might have. So it could be PR content with a white paper or case study. How do you make that maybe audio or visual for social? Or how do you break it down into an infographic? And how do you break that down into a micrographic? So I think it's really thinking that social is these bite-sized pieces of these larger things that you might already have and you might have already invested in. So it's really how do you pull part pieces from that to then leverage in social and on your content calendar? Because like I said, it is a marathon, it isn't a sprint. So looking at how you can get a lot of content from one larger piece of, of collateral really can help. How do you help marketers, especially B2B marketers, consider where they should be on social media? So I think that question is twofold. First, it's looking at the platforms and then it's also looking at the audiences on that platform. So especially for B2B, our bread and butter is LinkedIn. It's just a great platform all around. And especially when you're going into paid social media, how you're able to actually target users on that platform, you can target by specific skills, by job titles, by job function. So you can really break down and you know that your audience is there. It's also primarily there's with engineers, there's also product managers, there's people you want to target. So that's the first Part of it, I think for the other platforms for like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's really doing your research. See if your competitors are on it. How are they using it? What are their engagement rates like? Are they getting a lot of comments? Are the comments negative in nature? Because usually with Facebook, users are using it more as a customer service tool, as a way to get in touch with the brand. Same with Twitter. They're not really looking to engage in thought leadership content like they are on LinkedIn. They're looking to kind of, you know, air out some grievances that they might have. For Instagram, that's a different purpose. That might be inspiration. So 
you know, what is your brand trying to do in terms of sustainability or innovation? Um, that's a really good place for that content. But again, it's looking at competitors. It's looking at publications. It's looking at groups in your industry and seeing, are they on these platforms? Are their audiences engaged? And then making that decision for yourself, for your brand. I, as you're you're talking about customer service and that kind of thing, tell me tell me more about uh, responsiveness, um, social listening, and and stuff like that, and how people can, um, you know, within within their sphere, how they can can leverage uh, whatever platform they're on. Like, what kinds of things should they be thinking about with that? So we encourage our clients to have a response plan in place. So. With social, you will get positive feedback, but you also may get some negative. So it's figuring out how do you address some of those comments? So how do you take those conversations offline? And really, how do you get ahead of that too? So really proactively monitoring your accounts, um, engaging with comments. So again, social is a two-way communication. It's a way for you to reach your audience, but it's also a way for your audience to reach your brand. So you really want to put the effort into fostering those conversations or even listening to feedback, whether it is negative, it might be hard to hear, but how can you relate that to some business decisions internally and maybe change some things with process that can make it a better experience for the customer? So we'd like to work with our PR team with that. Uh, PR has a really good way of, you know, communicating with other stakeholders and communicating with the public and that's their niche. So looping them into social that way by having them help to lead, find and foster those conversations is a really good way to ease that level of monitoring from one person or, um, you know, a small social team to really make it a larger part. When, when you talk about, uh, you know, sort of the negative aspect of it, because it's easy to focus on the positive. Uh, but like you said, people do uh, get on to air grievances. They get on to get attention to an issue that they may be having. Um, you know, and, and at a consumer level, they do that with airlines and they do it with phone companies and, uh, and all kinds of other, other you know, entities. You're going to get some of that in, in B2B. Um, so, I, it sounds like we should probably touch on reputation management a little bit as well. And, and that's that intersection that you were just talking about of social and PR. Um, what kinds of things should people be watching for and how, how much communication needs to happen at that company level to really do that well? So I think it is through monitoring your platforms over time, you'll start to get a trend of, you know, what is normal engagement looking like, you know, the sector of followers that are just these negative type trolls that are just posting things to post them and they don't necessarily warrant a response. So I think sometimes it's also looking at that comment and determining, is there something actionable that we can do on our end to make this better? Does this person just want to be heard or is this person just posting to post? So those are the three things we always take, consider when we're monitoring and before we respond to comments. And I think for the people that are just posting negativity to post it, you know, you can try to address it one or two times by taking that conversation offline by saying, hey, we sent you a private message. Please reach out to us there. We'd like to talk to you more about your feelings about the brand or this problem that you're encountering. If they're not even willing to have that conversation offline with you, then they're just 
a lost cause kind of. So you can't let those small people determine your entire plan. You need to look at it as a whole and really listen to what your audience is saying from all aspects of other things to determine if it's just this person or if it is a larger issue. And if it is a larger issue, how do you address that? Do you put problems in front of the product team? Do you pass things along to HR? Um, And then how do you address things from there? Yeah, so a solid response plan, uh, multiple members of your team uh, engaged in that. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. And I think being responsive too, it doesn't necessarily have to be, especially with B2B within 24 hours. Again, it's not like an airline or it's not like Amtrak's or um, FedEx where you need a response right away, but you do want to be monitoring at least two to three times a week your platforms to really have a pulse on what's going on and to address any negative things, but also positive things. You might have a lead in there that you need to follow up with. You never know. You know, one thing that is interesting to me is when I look at uh, online reviews, you know, either through like Google or Yelp or any of those kinds of services, um, and a lot of times they may skew negative toward a business. And I, I'm reminded of one of my earliest forays into mass communication, which was um, I, I had a radio show when I was uh, in my late teens. And one of the things that somebody told me is only 1% of your audience is ever going to call you. You have a prize, you have a call-in kind of opportunity or whatever. Only 1% is ever really going to engage you on the phone. Most people are just passively listening. Is there any kind of a rule of thumb for that on social? You know, is is there any way to understand that? I'm sure it would vary by industry and by audience. Um, I guess I'm, I'm looking for some of those like, you know, sort of secret... Uh, like 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 rules that that perhaps get get passed around in your circles. Yeah, I think it's more aligning with you know opportunity, and that's what people are willing to engage with. So if there's something people are always listening, they're always scrolling. <laughs> they're just you know yeah. the mindless scroll, uh, whether that's on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. So I think it's figuring out. What are those key pieces of content each month that you actually want people to engage with? Or what are those campaigns where you're really looking for engagement or you're looking for web traffic? And how do you focus on those pieces? So that can be with a giveaway that does work on social, you know, tag a friend in the comments below, follow this account. That works when there's an offer for someone. Same thing with an event. So putting it out there of a webinar or hopefully one day, again, a live conference. Um, Those are things that really can garner engagement. And then other things as well are just video and super creative or things that stand out a little bit differently or things that might pique your audience's interest. So it's really what is that three-second hook in that video that's going to get people to either stay for the 15, 30, 60 seconds that you might have them. I think those are the things it's focusing on where those high value pieces of content that you really want to drive action and making sure that those stand out in some way for your audience on social. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, thinking about, especially when you mention a hook, right? I, I, I like that as a, as a term because it really is what you're looking to do. I mean, they, they talk about that with a pop, like a pop song. Uh, you know, we all know what the hook is. It's the part that gets stuck in your head. Um, you know, what is it that you're going to do to entice people? And then 
the thing is, I, I think with uh, with B2B especially, what you're going to give them for responding to that um, tends to skew much more authentic than perhaps some other brands might be. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, that's exactly right. Um, it is. It's going to be a little bit more authentic. People aren't just going to, you know, enter just to enter to see what happens. They're actually going to really want, if it is a giveaway, for example, they are going to really want to invest in that or sign up for that uh, webinar or that conference or watch that video because they are actually invested and interested in your product or your technology or your brand. Um, we have a couple of minutes left. So I wanted to ask you a couple of more sort of general and maybe even fun questions. Um, what what's the biggest piece of advice that you usually give to B2B marketers when it comes to social media? I think it goes back to it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you're not going to have 10,000 followers overnight. You're not going to have a million views on a video in a week. It's really putting in the work to develop that content calendar, to plan ahead, and to just be consistent. Be consistent in your responses, be consistent in your messaging, and be consistent in your posting. I think that's really good advice. Um, what's an example of a really great B2B account that that you uh, you know one that you, you just think they're doing it the right the right way? I think GE does a really great job. And I think a lot of that has to do with their messaging, but also the imagery that they use. Um, I think all around, they do a really good job of communicating and connecting with their audience on that on social platforms. That's a really good one. I've used that as an example with people before, um, as you know, a, an example of, a, of an industrial B2B company um, and I think it's because it's a, it's a household name. Everybody knows it from light bulbs and that kind of thing. But then you look mm -hmm. at some of these bigger things that they're doing. Uh, the fact they're actually running primetime television commercials, people understand that it's uh, it's it's a much sort of broader um, you know product offering than than ever before. That's that's good. How about um, how about just just for fun, just a, a fun account um, on any platform? Just for fun. Uh, I love comments by celebs on Instagram. Very interesting. So they pretty much just find celebrity comments on the platform and, you know, bubble those up to the surface. So I think that's also a really interesting way where they also utilize social listening and that functionality, but for celebrities and then made that content. So they're, they're a fun one. So, so these are when celebrities actually comment on other celebrities post or just anybody's post? Just anybody's post, but usually it's other celebrities that they're pulling out and then they have like subsets. So I like the comments by celebs, the Bravo version. So mm -hmm. a fan. So it's interesting to see other Bravo celebrities, what they comment on each other's posts. And sometimes there's really interesting things that bubble up there. <laughs> That's I'm going to have to check that one out. I actually was, was not aware of that one. Um, that sounds that sounds absolutely great. Very good. Hey, thank you so much, Emily. It's been a pleasure to uh, pick your brain on this today and to, to get those insights, um, not only from uh, an experienced uh, social media perspective, but also from that PR angle. I think that uh, the two seem to be very close together 
Um, but you you have a clearer perspective on uh, being uh, responsible and responsive, I think, as a result of that. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Marketing to Complex Industries has been presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Godfrey is built for technical products, discerning buyers, and intricate buying cycles. For more information, visit us at godfrey.com.